Well, good morning, everyone. Again, it's so good to be with you. Uh, my name is Kyle, and I have the privilege of serving as the youth director here. And uh, man, I'm excited to preach the Word of God this morning. So as we get ready to dive in, I want to welcome in all of those who are joining us online. And I want to say what's up to our Fulton Heights location that's joining us for our conversation today. Today, we pick up part two of our current message series, I Believe in God, But... And I'm excited to dive in this morning. Um, I told myself that I wasn't going to be this kind of parent. And I'm three months in, and guess what? Well, I'm that kind of parent. (laughs) Uh, The amount of stuff that a tiny human has just makes no sense to me. Uh, I'm like, bro, you are 15 pounds. Why do you need every single style and brand of play mats, uh, stuffed animals, uh, movable bassinets, uh, rockers, snuggle me's, bouncers? Like, there's just too much stuff. I told myself I wasn't going to be this kind of parent. Here's a picture of my living room this week. <laughs> Right? Like, I I really don't understand why this tiny human needs everything available to him at the exact same time. If someone's at the door, it takes me like 20 minutes to move through this baby superstore so that I can answer the door. My dog, he absolutely loves it because he thinks that everything that squeaks and makes noise is his. And and Jay, he's not old enough to say, that's mine, although I know that's coming. Uh, So my dog loves it. Uh, My child loves it. Meanwhile, I'm in the corner hiding because I'm like, there is no room to walk. There's no room to sit. There's no room to breathe. There is no room. And this week, I, uh, I also tried to make some room for family devotionals, right? Spiritual habits and disciplines, they're important. And we want to teach our kids from a young age who Jesus is. And so I'm like, all right, first family devotional. Here we go. We got this. I grab the baby. I grab the kid's Bible. I walk through the maze that is my living room. I sit down in the rocking chair and we read three pages together in two hours between the kid dropping his passy every two seconds, my dog pawing at me because he wants to be pet, the doorbell's ringing, it's my wife's third Amazon package delivery of the day, trying to read, oh, your wife does it too, it's good, Um, trying to read, it was so challenging. Um, So that was my week, how was yours? Thank you. Um, But I say that just to get us thinking about this idea of room. Because I think you'll find it true that in our families and in our lives, we have to be intentional about what we decide and don't decide to make room for, don't we? In our families, we have to decide, do we make room in our summer calendar for the summer baseball season, even though we know that all of our weekends might be spent at tournaments? Uh, In our week, we have to decide, do we make room for family devotionals? And now I know that's a lot uh, easier said than done. And the same in our personal lives. Do we make room throughout the week for physical exercise? Do we make room on our plate for green vegetables, even though I want to, just another scoop of mac and cheese? You do it, I do it, right? Do we make room in our personal finances to help equip the Maharjans to plant Encounter Nepal this year? If you want to do that, encounterchurch.org forward slash Nepal. I got you. There we go. Right, for all of us in this room, we have to decide what we do and do not make room for. And the truth is, 
the same with the church. We have to decide what we do and do not make room for. And historically, I think the church has made room for a lot of the right things. But I don't think we've gotten it all right. In fact, I think we've failed to make room for this thing right here. Doubt. Whether we want to admit it or not, I think we share a lived experience where our faith is welcome to come through the doors of the church. But doubt has to stay in the car. I think we've created a space that says you're not a good Christian if you struggle with unbelief. I think we've created a space that says to be a good Christian, you have to believe everything and not doubt anything. And here's what happens. We'll still struggle, just not out loud. I think we've created an environment where we don't think we're allowed to have questions and doubts. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus encounters a father whose son has been possessed by a demon since childhood. The father's desperate. This, this, the demonic forces have done terrible things to this child. And, and Jesus essentially looks at him and says, I can heal your child. I want to heal your child. Do you believe? The father, he's desperate. He knows this is Jesus. He knows this is the rabbi that everyone's been talking about. He says, Jesus, yes, I believe. But then he says something that quite honestly just changes my life. And maybe yours too. He says, Jesus, I believe. But help my unbelief. If you're going to pull that apart, that... It doesn't make sense, does it? He, he, he contradicts himself. He says, yes, I believe, but if I'm honest with you, Jesus, if you want me to keep it real with you, Jesus, I've seen some stuff. I've been through some stuff. I've seen my boy get tossed into the fire by demonic forces. I've seen my boy struggle to love himself because he can't talk. I've seen my boy lie awake at night because he's foaming at the mouth. So I believe, but if you want me to keep it real with you, Jesus, I've got some, I've got some unbelief. There's some things you haven't answered yet. There, I've been through some stuff, some stuff that I couldn't just wave a Bible verse over, some stuff that I couldn't just put a psalm over. So yeah, I believe, but I've got some unbelief. He says, I believe but I've got some unbelief. This morning, we walked into this room. We sat down, grabbed our coffee. We sat down and said, God, I want to meet with you. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to give each other permission to tell our doubts, to tell our questions, to tell our unbeliefs, get up out the car. I've got a seat for you. God, you healed his mother of cancer. Why didn't you heal mine? I don't know if you're good. 
God, no matter how many appointments or counseling appointments my sister goes to, no matter how many medications the doctor prescribes, the depression is winning. Do you even care, God? God, my son has walked away from you. And it doesn't look like he's coming back. Are you going to stand there and do nothing? I believe in God, but I have doubts. This morning, we're going to make room for our doubts. We're going to tell our doubts, our questions. Get out the car. I've got a seat for you. Today, we're going to look at a story found in the Bible. And it's a story that I think honestly might shock some of us. Because we're gonna, what we're going to find is that we're actually not the first people to ever struggle with doubts or questions. Uh, today we're going to look at the story of Thomas, and we find part of Thomas's story here in John chapter 20. We pick up the story on the very first Easter Sunday. Uh, God raises Jesus from the dead, and Jesus appears to his disciples in a close room in the city of Jerusalem. All of the disciples are overjoyed when they see their rabbi. All but one, Jesus, or sorry, Thomas, he's not in the room. Apparently, he had somewhere better else to be on the first Easter Sunday. Uh, But John, the author of this gospel, he tells us what happens right after this meeting. This is what he says, chapter twenty. Verse 24, it says, now Thomas also called Didymus, one of the 12, meaning one of Jesus's 12 disciples, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They must have added, Thomas, we know he was crucified, but we saw him. We saw Jesus, we, we got to sit down with him. He's here, he's here, Thomas. The plan is still on. Thomas, you've gotta believe this, but Thomas responds. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see, what makes Thomas's response so interesting is that Thomas loves Jesus. Thomas is loyal. Thomas is on team Jesus perhaps more than any of the other disciples. We only hear about Thomas in John's gospel and John mentions him in three places. Uh, We're gonna go to the first place real quick. This is where Thomas is first mentioned. It's in um, John chapter 11 and here's what happens. Jesus' friend Lazarus gets sick and dies. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus, Jesus, can you help? Um, Jesus obviously is not in the place and he receives word. Um, and, and Lazarus, Mary and Martha, they're in Judea. And, and the problem with Judea is that the last time Jesus was in Judea, the Jews tried to stone him. And so Jesus receives this word from Mary and Martha that Lazarus is sick. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, we're going to Judea. Lazarus needs our help. The disciples are like, hold on. Jesus, do you remember what happened in Judea? Like, they tried to stone you. They tried to stone us. What do you mean we're going to Judea? You're crazy. 
That's what they say. And look what Thomas says. Thomas pipes up. This is what Thomas says. Then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas loves Jesus. Thomas is loyal. So how do you go from Jesus, I'll die with you, to I don't believe? Like, what happened in Thomas's life that would lead him to give two polar opposite responses? The text isn't 100% clear of what happened, but here's what I think happened. Unmet expectations. You see, Thomas was one of the 12, one of Jesus's main disciples, and Thomas spent a ton of time with Jesus. He didn't spend hours with Jesus, he spent years with Jesus. Thomas got a front row seat to the life and ministry of Jesus. He saw Jesus perform miracles. He saw Jesus cast out demons. And when they would go from place to place, Thomas would hear the teachings of Jesus, right? And when you look at the teachings of Jesus, uh, primarily there's one thing. It's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. That's why when you look at the gospels, oftentimes Jesus opens up and he says the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like. And Jesus gave a lot of sermons and who was in the crowd? Thomas. And so he heard these sermons day after day after day, and it created in him an expectation. And that expectation for the kingdom of God is that Jesus uh, would reestablish the nation of Israel. Uh, They would take back the city of Jerusalem, overthrow the Roman oppression, and it's here that they would experience blessing and favor and family and land and children and marriage and all of that good stuff. That was Thomas's expectation. And so Thomas says, I'll die for that. I'll die so my family can experience that. But then Thomas experiences a very big problem. His rabbi dies. As Jesus' time on earth comes to a close, his, his teaching on the kingdom of God comes into clearer focus. And he starts to talk about how he must suffer, about how he must be handed over about how he must die so that he can give his people something greater than any earthly blessing. Thomas's rabbi dies. His hope dies, his dream dies, and his doubts grew. What was Thomas facing? Unmet expectations. And isn't what's true for Thomas true for you and I as well, that when we face unmet expectation, doesn't our faith and confidence weaken and our doubts and our suspicions and our questions grow stronger? Your boyfriend texted you, said he wants to meet, Uh, said he's got something important to talk about, and you're thinking, oh, today's the day. He's going to pop the question. He bought the ring. And so you text your girlfriends, you get your nails done, you buy a cute dress and you pull up to the meeting spot and you see the expression on his face. And when you see the expression on his face, you know that today is gonna be a very different day. Your daughter has been sick for months and you've prayed for her, you've fasted, you've anointed her with oil, you've done all of the things that you know to do. 
and you are at her bedside again at 3 a.m. because she can't sleep because the pain is too severe and you're wondering, God, where are you? What do you do when God doesn't meet your expectations? Historically, the church has looked at Thomas and said, Thomas, get it together. Have faith. Don't question. Don't doubt. Get it together, Thomas. Thomas says, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. But unless I see his hands, unless I can reach out and touch his side, I, I can't believe. Now listen, I, I think we could go back and forth on whether or not it's appropriate for Thomas to doubt but I don't think that's the biggest question. I think the biggest question at hand is how is Jesus going to respond to Thomas's doubt? Is Jesus going to make room for Thomas's doubt? Or does Jesus tell Thomas, your doubt's gotta stay in the car? Thomas missed Easter Sunday. It's literally the one day of the year that you don't miss. Eddie missed it. All the other disciples, they're in the room. The text says they were overjoyed when they saw Jesus. Thomas, unless I see, I can't believe. And isn't that the question that we're all asking this morning? Jesus, is is there room for my questions? Is there room for my unbelief? Because Jesus, yeah, I believe. But I've been through some stuff. I've experienced some stuff that I can't explain. I've been through some stuff that you haven't answered yet. So yeah, I believe. But I've got some unbelief. Jesus, is there room for my unbelief? Let's see how Jesus responds. Verse 26 says this. A week later, so one week after Easter Sunday, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus wastes no time here. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out and and, and Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. I heard a preacher tell his congregation one time. He said, half of y'all are doubters. The other half of y'all are too. And if that's true for us this morning... Here's what I want to tell both halves of Encounter Church, whether you've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive, or you're just kind of checking it out and you're not 100% sure what to think about him. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. There is good news for the doubter. Everybody say good news. Come on, say good news. There's good news for the doubter. Jesus makes room for your doubts. He makes room. Thomas missed Easter Sunday. He says, probably shouldn't skip twice in a row. So he shows up on the second Sunday. He's in the room with the other disciples. And guess what? Jesus knows he's there. Jesus knows his question. He understands his doubts. And get this, Jesus did not have to show up into the room. 
He did not have to give Thomas what he wanted to see, but he does. Jesus shows up into the room and he looks right at Thomas and he says, Thomas, see my hands. Put your finger here. See my side. Reach out your hand. Put it. He says, stop doubting and believe. You see, the fact this morning that Jesus shows up in the room for Thomas believes, or I think believes, or understands that he makes room for your doubts and my questions. Jesus makes room. That's good news. There's good news for the doubter. Jesus makes room for our doubts. In fact, if you've ever had a doubt, if you've ever had a question, I've got more good news for you. You're in good company. Uh, listen to what Job says. Uh, Job questions God. He, he doubts God. He wonders about God's goodness for 37 straight chapters. Listen to what he says. Job says, you have thrown me away. You don't care about me. You don't answer when I pray. You have been cruel to me. You are against me. Job says, God, I'm more compassionate than you are. Some of us in this room are like, can I be that honest with God? Yes, you can. David, King David, he writes in the Psalms, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? The major and minor prophets, uh, they are full of questions and confusion. John the Baptist doubts Jesus from prison. If you've ever struggled with doubts, if you've ever had a question or confusion, there's good news. We're in good company. Jesus makes room for our doubts. He makes room. But why? Why would he make room for your doubts and my questions? Here's why. Intimacy. Intimacy. It's because honest doubts and questions oftentimes pave the way for greater intimacy, don't they? I've heard it said before that a relationship is only as real as it is honest. And isn't that what God wants with his kids? An honest and real relationship? Parents in the room, isn't that what you want with your kids? An honest relationship? I've never heard a parent come up to me and say, Kyle, I just hope my kid lies to me every day. I just want him to lie, lie, lie. No, I've never heard that. Isn't that what we want with our friends? is an honest and real relationship. And Jesus says, I already know your questions. I already know your doubts. You might as well just bring them in the room with you anyway. Jesus shows up in the room. He looks directly at Thomas. And how does Thomas respond? He says, my Lord and my God. Thomas uses some big words here, doesn't he? Uh, Thomas is a good Jewish boy. He knows what he's saying. He says, my Lord, which is, uh, it means my Yahweh. It, it's the personal covenantal name of God. He says, my Lord and my God. My God is Elohim, which is the, the creator of all things, the eternal God. That is the personal response that Thomas gives. It's personal, it's accurate, and it's intimate. You see, the reality that Jesus makes space for Thomas's doubt paves the way for an intimate experience and encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it does. But the conversation doesn't stop there. While Jesus makes room for our doubts, the conversation doesn't stop there. What does he say? He says, 
Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. A more literal translation would say, uh, don't be an unbeliever, be a believer. And so don't, don't miss this. Okay, don't miss this. I, I think if you walk away and you miss this, I think you walk away with something very inaccurate. Yes, Jesus makes space for your questions and my doubts, but Jesus is always inviting us to pass from unbelief to belief. He's always inviting us. And you might ask this morning, Kyle, how do I pass from unbelief to belief when I've got all these questions? How do I pass from unbelief to belief when I got all of these doubts? Uh, anyone, anyone here like math? Anyone like here like math? Raise your hand. You like math? Um, I do not understand you people at all. Um, I, I, look, I, I understand you people more than I understand people who think soccer is a sport, but I do not understand you people. I think I just heard Joe Boomy from Fulton Heights. It's all good. Uh, I don't like math. Uh, never have, probably never will. Um, but in the seventh grade, something amazing happened. Uh, I never used my math book because why, what's the point? And I remember in the seventh grade, I opened my locker and my math book fell out onto the floor. And as it fell, it opened up. And what I found on that day changed my life forever. On that day, on August 15th, 2006, when I picked up my math book, I discovered that at the back of the book were all of the answers to my math questions. I loved math class. I, for the first time in my life, I was doing my math homework. What does X equal? 36, 27, 42. I looked at my friends in class and said, hey, if you need help with your homework, I got you, bro. I got you. My teacher, Miss Shannon, she's like, hey, Kyle, can I see you after class? The good students got to hang out with the teacher after class. I said, why, yes, my calendar is free. I would love to meet with you. And so I get to the meeting and Miss Shannon says, Kyle, I appreciate that you are finally turning in your homework. I said, what can I say? I'm gifted. She says, but I noticed that you've only been giving me the answer. And while the answer to the problem is important, uh, what's even just as important is for me to see your work. I want to see your process. I want to see you wrestle with the question because when you wrestle with the question, that is when you learn and grow the most. I didn't like math class anymore. <laughs> How do you pass from unbelief to belief when you've got questions, when you've got doubts? How do you process any question in a relationship? Time. Honest conversation. Commitment. Another honest conversation. And more time. You, you wrestle through the question together, don't you? We wrestle. And here's the thing. I think Thomas has more doubts. You see, the fact that he wasn't there on Easter Sunday says that his doubt is profound. And Jesus shows up to the room on the second Sunday and he says, Thomas, 
I might not be able to answer all your questions, but I see you. I see your doubts. I see your questions. I see your confusion. Would you come to me? Can, can we walk through this together, Thomas? Can we process this? Can, can we wrestle through this together? Because I'm not as concerned about you getting the right answer as I am about you getting to know me and me getting to know you. So what doubts do you have this morning? Who are you bringing into the room? Are you questioning whether or not God's design for your sexuality is actually what's best for you? Do you wonder if God really wants to heal your marriage or if he's just given up? Do you wonder if God could use someone like you for his glory even though you have such a messed up past? Jesus said, I make room. Would you come to me? Can we wrestle together? Can we journey together? And listen, maybe the breakthrough for you this morning is the realization that you don't have to keep your doubts in the car and, and you don't have to dress them up any certain way. You don't have to make them sound a certain way. You can just be real and honest and vulnerable with the God who created you because the real you is who God wants anyway. And, and can we be a church? Can we be a church that makes room for the doubter? Can we be a place and a people that says, yeah, I've got some doubts, but I'm not gonna let them keep me from community. Can we be a place that says, yeah, I've got some doubts, but I'm not gonna let them keep me from serving other people, from loving other people, from being generous, from following Jesus. I've got some doubts, but I'm not gonna let them keep me on the sidelines. I hope and I pray encounter we can be that kind of people to make room for the doubter. You know, Expressing our doubts in a setting like this, it can be scary, can't it? Uh, we wonder might, what people might think. We wonder what people might say. <laughs> we wonder if someone's gonna try and kick us out. It can be scary. And I wanna help. So I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna tell you who I brought to church this morning. This school year, Encounter Youth, we have, uh, we kicked off a missions project. Uh, at the beginning of the school year, we had my missionary friends, Jonah and Juska Lazar, come in and we kicked off a project where we, where we were raising funds for God's vision for Haiti. Uh, and it was such an awesome time together with them in October. They came in, they shared the vision, talked about what God was doing uh, through their ministry, primarily helping orphans find home and foods and medical supplies and all of that good stuff. And at the end of that time together, we challenged our students uh, to, to look at their resources, their, their money, and say, God, what do you want me to give and, and to be obedient to that and to give? And, uh, and our students gave, which was so awesome. Now, whether or not it was their money or uh, parents or grandparents, it was your money that they bummed off of you. So if you gave to that, thank you, right? Um, and, and I'm happy to share that um, th our students not only met their goal, they surpassed their goal by a few hundred dollars. Isn't that awesome? They surpassed their goal. And so, yeah, we can clap for that. Yeah, absolutely. And so this week, Encounter Church is sending a check to God's vision for Haiti for over $2,000, uh, which is super, super cool.
Um, and this project is a result of a trip that I took a couple of years ago to Haiti. And it's really hard to put into words um, the experience there. Uh, the, the poverty is profound. You would see kids who would wear the same outfit for days at a time. At dinner time, we would invite some of the kids and adults to our dinner table that was full of food and the look on their face was better than them going to Disney World to have a table full of food. And as I think about that experience and as I look at my living room that's full of stuff, I've got some doubts got some questions. God, why does my kid have everything in the world? But those kids sometimes don't have food on the table at night. And so here my doubt sits. This is who I brought to church today. And I know God cares because of the work that God's